0: So welcome to another show. Uh, today's guest is Rocco Jarman, who is the host of the Eyes Wide Open Life podcast and a man who feels he can speak in a room with the likes of Sam Harris, Alan Watts and Carl Jung, as well as many others. So welcome to today's show.
1: Thank you very much. What's the what's the name of your show? Uh, the Vanquish Podcast. The Vanquish Podcast. I like the name. What yeah, made you choose that?
0: Um, it was from my coaching side of things, really, because... There's loads of coaches out there, loads of people who feel that they can help improve others' lives. And I wanted to come up with a name that I felt was consistent with my beliefs of what coaching and improving your life should be. And that's about conquering things. And vanquish is a word that sort of encompasses that. And I basically plug and played it into the podcast and trying to make things a bit consistent, really.
1: Nice, nice.
0: So you've got a wide area of knowledge from philosophy to mysticism. Um, I'm going to start with the hermetic principles, because I think that's something that's quite in the ether at the moment. Can you explain to people what that is and why it's so important to understand?
1: Yeah, sure. So the best place to begin is to try and understand what it's not. So it's misunderstood and misrepresented a lot. So most of what you'll find on the internet or on Instagram or on books, especially will be misrepresentations and misunderstanding of hermetics. Hermetics is a body of um, quite ancient wisdom. And its claim is that it's the perennial wisdom. Perennial meaning it's always fresh. Now, not many bodies of wisdom can claim that. And most of the hermetics we encounter <clears throat> is tantamount to fan literature. So it's it's... Somebody's taken the basic principles of the basic teaching and have embellished it or um, adapted it to whatever zeitgeist they were speaking or lens that they were speaking from. So it could have been early um, Christian lens during the Enlightenment period or the Renaissance. And a lot of things get bundled in with it at the moment, like Gnosticism, alchemy, um, Enochian magic, etc. But fundamentally fundamentally right at its heart what it is is the physics of not just the mechanics of creation but also of the human psyche and of consciousness and that's the the simplest way of articulating what hermetics is
0: so if that's the the broad side of things why is it why Why would it be split down into seven principles? Do, do they encompass or encompass that broad definition, or is it a case of looking at those principles individually?
1: Well, they all a piece actually, and there's a there's an order in which to understand them, and there is also a relationship between them. So if you think of the premise of a magician or an alchemist or some form of mastery over the natural world or the elements or of oneself, the idea is to be able to employ one's knowledge or understanding of these laws or rules in order to master one's environment or oneself. And the hermetic principles have an embedded claim in them that the way to master, so they're they're in order it begins with the all is mind and then as above so below which is the law of dualism and then the law of vibration and then of polarity and then of rhythm cause and effect and finally of gender and the the the, the premise is that to master the bottom law, the most the most um, gross of the seven laws, the least fundamental. You use the sixth law to master the, the seventh, and the fifth to master the sixth, and the fourth to master the fifth, and so on, which talks then, which implies the primacy of mind. And the other way of describing Hermetics is the science of the mind or the priesthood of reason, and there are, of course, turns of phrase on science and priesthoods, but in each case pointing to that of the mind and of reason. So it's not of dogma, it's not of faith or fancy. It's of a simple understanding of how the mind and mentalism is fundamental consciousness, in other words, is fundamental to the universe, not what we imagine. Now if that's obscure we can unpack that, but that's the claim. And so you can look at each one of these things individually, but they the the cash value is in the consideration of them as a as a whole. And of course, <clears throat> which is little understood is that each of the seven laws um or all seven of them actually really just um, lend themselves to one primary law which is reason and relativity being in relation with
0: something. So a couple yeah. of things you mentioned is one was that you use the principle above <clears throat> to solve the principle below. That's right, yes. So the principle of mentalism is, is the, the first principle.
1: That's the prime one, exactly
0: right. Yeah. So that is used to understand the law of correspondence. Is that is that correct? correct so how how is that correct because what's the relationship and how do you use the principle above to transcend the one below if that's the right terminology well we can give
1: very rudimentary examples which help us understand that but i suppose one of the ways of looking at it is if we consider that the the first law which is the principle of mentalism being that consciousness is fundamental consciousness is not divisible. It's it's a a principle of unity and pervasiveness. And yet there is manifested in visible or observable creation, that which is not observably conscious, which means there are two states, which means we're dealing with a, a duality. And the duality has to emanate from something and, of course, emanates from the monad, the singularity. And so those are the first two laws in very, very simple shorthand, the law, the principle of mentalism and the principle of correspondence in in sequence. But the the prime or the primacy is obviously of the upper law and the second law is a derivative of or stems from the upper law which is why the upper law always is the one that um, is the means to subvert or master the lower law.
0: So mentalism essentially is consciousness or understanding that we are part of a a wider scenario or universe.
1: Well, we anthropomorphize the idea of consciousness like that, but consciousness in the context of hermetics is a, there is a word, that was originally translated from the Corpus Hermeticum in its first translations into Greek, which was called naus, N-O-U-S. And that word collectively refers to all and not precisely each of the following terms. So thought, reason, understanding. And we have to pick a word to try and encapsulate what that means. And in some religious traditions, people call that light. So when we talked about the Age of Enlightenment, it was arrival at an understanding. So fundamentally, it's consciousness that's um, pervaded by reason. So, in other words, not just a sense of, <clears throat> of a live awareness of being, but one that is that is underwritten fundamentally by a sense of meaning and reason.
0: The word you, now is used still to this day isn't it but is that different- yes yeah, it's, it, it's it's a
1: different spelling yes but it's 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 a it's the same pronunciation yes like in especially in the uk to have now is to have savvy or street smarts yeah 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 but um now in OUS in in the context of emetics is this
0: principle of thought higher thought or understanding and that there's a, a sort of derivation there though from a higher thought of understanding to being- yeah, there, there, may well, well be. There, there may well be that there may well be yeah exactly right and and they actually lend
1: um the word that you're talking about now So actually it helps us get at what we're talking about it's not just thinking it's a, it's a thinking with an a, 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 an understanding within it and of course understanding with the capital U.
0: So what are we trying to understand? Though that that's a question.
1: Ah, well, there is not one single. Um, purpose here, because the reason we're all individuated is because we're free to use our little parcels um, of nous, our packets of nous, to answer all sorts of things and to pursue all sorts of questions. Um, At the end of the day, we're free to actualize or exercise our life force or our energy or our intention, our awareness and our time in whichever way we choose. But certainly for um, somebody who's seriously devoted to hermetic principles, um, the the intention is actualization of self, actualization of the species, actualization of um, the cosmos.
0: So Maslow talks about this, doesn't he, in the hierarchy of needs, but what's your interpretation (laughs) of actualization from a, a human standpoint?
1: Yeah, sure. So again, the terms are related but not contin- not completely, um, uh, not completely aligned. So in in Maslow's context, it's it's the the hierarchy of needs being the basis level, which is just what a human animal or any animal needs for raw survival. It's the physiological needs, which then moves up to the the safety and security needs, and then all the way up to the the social and esteem, and finally the pinnacle of that is what i'm talking about so the pinnacle of that triangle specifically what what masler refers to as actualization is the the effort the time energy and attention we invest that have nothing to do with our survival they've got to do with um by definition something which is outside the rubric of what we need to do in order to survive either physically or socially it's things that we do to align purely with our own vocations or interests that are very private to each and every person
0: I mean it's something that people talk about isn't it that they think about a goal beyond um a requirement or the reason why they're doing something that's so big that makes them so passionate and driven towards this goal is that what you're you're suggesting that to self-actualize we need to think of a purpose a lot greater than ourselves
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely fundamental and absolutely essential. Um, and it's it's paradoxical, of course, because you both at once have to completely actualize in the context of yourself, but also in, in, in relationship to a purpose or a sense of meaning, um, both inside you and also far beyond you. I think that's essential. Yeah, very oh, much. Please- that's very much the project is. Yes.
0: But on, on the face of it, it seems like a selfless act then, doesn't it, to say, well, actually, you know, I'm behaving in a way that's going to be for the benefit of humanity or the benefit <clears throat> of um, a group of people, for example. But is there a, yeah. an element of selfishness within there as well? Of saying, Well, well, well it's, it's
1: completely, completely selfish because it only seems altruistic or purely altruistic when we lack a degree. First of all, when we lack the understanding, then now it's to understand the project, so... Part of the problem is veiled from people who can't tackle the context or the concept um, fully. And the veil is not as if it's some kind of secret, but things are veiled from us when we can't make contact with them because of our lack of context. So if you get somebody who lives uh, their life lower down the Maslowian, Maslowian hierarchy of needs, their understanding of altruism will be, cartoonish like out of a textbook like I'm doing some selfless act like a mother Teresa or a, a princess die hugging um, AIDS patients in in hospitals and the irony is is as as you move up in that hierarchy your 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 basic needs not, they don't become foregone conclusions but they don't co-opt your energy and your tension. The way that they used to when you were desperate for them. So if you find somebody who's down on their luck or has been down on their luck their whole life, the amount of consciousness that they can bring to bear in a moment, in a situation or a conversation, the reason homeless people that find themselves in those poor uh, situations are not as self-conscious about their appearance as you and I are, is very simply because their emotion, their their survival. Um, metrics or KPIs or outcomes surrounding ideas like social rapport or esteem are insignificant compared to where they're going to get their next meal from or how warm they're going to eat that night. Whereas we can take those things for granted and we can relegate those concerns to the comforts or the the consistencies of our homes or our societies, which is what one of those stepping stones of civilizations offer, offer us. And we then free up that bandwidth to pursue our higher vocations. Now, only when that bandwidth is freed up can you broaden your receptivity to consciousness, to nows. So your capacity for, for understanding and for connecting with the principle of understanding increases. And when that happens, the version of altruism that I'm about to explain to you doesn't seem so cartoonish. It seems a lot more tangible. And could, so, funda- fundamentally, you have um, pervasive to every single known religion, philosophy, ideology that we've ever conceived of on this planet is the Golden Rule, which is some version of "Do unto others as you would have done unto you." Um, you know, don't judge lest ye be judged, or you know, throw the don't cast the first stone. There's there's many versions of this, which all boil down to the same basic thing, which is treat others as you would. Have yourself treated by others, which means if you take that to its, its, its clinical, sensible, logical conclusion, what universe, what kind of neighbors of human souls do you want to share a universe with one where everyone is patently uh, selfish, or one where mm-hmm. they are selfish enough to pursue that true intention, where they can flourish, not only flourish in themselves. I mean, do you want to live in a society where you're the only person that has means? And everyone else around you is miserable and destitute? Or do you genuinely want to live in a place where you're surrounded by happiness and creativity and flourishing? The answer is so obviously the latter. And in that case, you can be selfishly predisposed towards mutual Stable mutual actualization of not only yourself, but everyone around you, because I absolutely want to live in the world where I can go and watch the most incredible virtuoso musical performances or see the most incredible art or have food cooked by incredible chefs or see people build beautiful hotels, manage nature for outdoor excursions. That only becomes possible if everybody else is also doing their passions to the nth degree and they're actualizing, and then we're living in an actualized playground. Now, that also sounds like a dystopian nightmare if everybody that's playing that game isn't also completely in a state of self-mastery, leaning towards generosity and compassion as well. Because if they're not, then you get the scenario we have at the moment, which is where we have everything run by psychopaths. A narcissist, which is literally a hell on earth of pandemic disconnection, greed, too much is never enough. And that's exactly what we have now. And so it's a different brand of selfishness. It's not a connected selfishness. It's a, it's a selfishness, which is disconnected from the principle which gets everybody better off, it only gets self better off, but makes self sicker, and unhealthier, which means they reach for more.
0: But if it makes not- sense, yeah, but if if throughout that um, that hierarchy, obviously you said that we would ideally be in a position where everyone gets to this level of altruism and understands that they should treat each other rightly. But something I heard the other day, which I think is a in in some respects a fair comparison, is that if you have someone at the level of IQ of 150 and you have someone at the level of IQ of 80, they see the world in a completely different way and if you extrapolate that to the maslows hierarchy of needs or something very similar if someone is stuck at the lower level maybe they can't see that higher level maybe they can't see that cause and effect calm, karma based uh, hermetic principle that that says look if we treat others well we're then going to live in, in in a better world than than we do today. Yeah, maybe they but
1: that's why you don't give um children steak knives and that's why you don't let delinquents um Make choices for everybody else. That's the whole basis of leadership. Leadership has to be based on some level of, of um, ownership and some level of competency.
0: But, it, but back in, in in the past, you know, empires were were ruled by emperors, uh, kingdoms were ruled by kings. You now got countries that are ruled by cunts. Well, and by that's cunts I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you mentioned the, the spirit of junk food and Instagram philosophy. Do you think that's a byproduct of uh, the D- disconnection? Of population yes. Being, as you said, disconnected from the the spiritual side of of, of life. Um, well, and, it, it doesn't it.
1: necessarily even need to be spiritual. It's just not holistically pragmatic. It's it's what we've done is we've grown up out of these primitive um, systems of social organization, and we've sort of flopped here. It wasn't as if our best minds got together and designed our social cohesion we just this this is sort of the um the the result that sort of got squeezed out of the piping tube um once you you squashed in the legacies of colonialism and global expansion and the vestiges of christianity and whatever bastardized version of western democracy we call democracy today i mean it, it, it's you know you you you're 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 pointing rightly at at a, at a at a dysfunction but the the solution i'm recommending isn't undone by the fact that the majority of people don't walk around with um superior understanding at the end of the day the whole the net effect of the age of enlightenment you don't have to explain to children why we don't have slaves anymore and they don't have to be terribly intelligent or smart. They simply have to have theory of mind and understand that if it was them or their wife or their child or themselves that were the slave, it's not a situation that they would want. And on just on that sheer basis alone, people can understand, um, I would want, you know, for others what I, I at least want for myself. Now, when that gets really nuanced, that obviously requires more articulation, but that's entirely the reason why we have social norms, and why we have institutions, <clears throat> because you don't need to explain minutiae to everybody every single day. Sometimes we just have processes and institutions which kind of buoy along the momentum of the crowd. And they're served by that. For example, if we wanted to have uh, a way of feeding a lot of people, there's obviously, you, you need the resources to do that. And it, it, it doesn't take a genius to sit and draw out the amount of meat you have versus the amount of vegetables you have versus the amount of condiments you have to go and work out a reasonably pedestrian egalitarian way of sharing it all up. You can't have one person that has five steaks and everybody else has to share the, the gruel and the vegetables. It, it doesn't take high intelligence or high IQ to understand that. So um and by the same token, the distribution of incredibly intelligent people with incredibly high potential of nows, of consciousness, is distributed in a way in a population that is sustained within that population.
0: But but that's, so it's, it's not as if yes. But some of that's just based on logic, like, oh, you can see that with with we have these amount of stakes, you know, we should we should give these equally amongst people you mentioned the yeah. child as well they can see clearly that you should not have slaves etc but i think what we're not incorporating into that is is human nature so the Stanford prison experiment zimbardo um uh, milgrams yeah, basically mm-hmm. game theory right yeah game
1: theory yeah fundamentally yes well exactly right so uh, until you start explaining game theory to people now the most the most objective version of game theory is the trolley car problem because there's no subjectivity there. First of all, you're just you're standing looking at a trolley car and a siding, and there's one person strapped to the tracks or a pregnant woman with a with a baby, and you've got to start making these assertions about you know what would be right or wrong in each case. So even before we get to the the the, the brutal complexity of game theory, and game theory is so complex, even game theorists can't make predictions about game theory. It can only inform us about the the, the 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 wide range of idiosyncratic way in which human beings um, strategize their optimization for survival or benefit or flourishing or something like that. So the fact that that exists, I mean, we've got a dysfunctional society and people can work out and m- manipulate incentives. So we certainly can't get worse at it. So I mean the fact that those those experiments exist c'est la vie, that's fantastic um and and far be it if we ever work our way out of the situation we find ourselves in at the moment the people who are going to have some of the prime jobs in a civilization like that are going to be the people that tackle game theory and and moral philosophy because somebody's going to have to sit down and and work out these problems that nobody wants to touch and the the hardest problem at the moment is not to come up. So this is this is the thing. What does reason dictate? Reason dictates that you can't solve those things absolutely. That's what I'm talking about, hermetic reason with a capital R. It becomes obvious to any reasonable person that you cannot solve the complexity of game theory absolutely. There is always yet another scenario with yet another twist. So what what can you do? And you also can't make your rules and your institutions so complex that they're impossible to follow. So what do you do? Well, you and I are are, are not social engineers, for starters, but there are social engineers on this planet. But what they are not empowered to do is to make sensible choices and they're not allowed to fail. They're not allowed to be wrong. So who do we relegate our social engineering to, to? Politicians. What are politicians incentivized to do? They're incentivized to never appear wrong. They're incentivized to shit can the other team, the the revolving door. So the blue team have just fucked off and we're now in, and we're going to make these insane promises, nothing that got us to the podium or got us the Guernsey. Are we actually going to be able to deliver because we fucking lied through our teeth? And so we need to spend the next two years, making sure that the eye of the public and of journalism is firmly entrained on all the ways in which we can point fingers at our predecessors. And as the two-year term starts looming, in other words, every four years there's an election, we need to spend the next two years ensuring that we are making all sorts of outlandish promises that we can't keep. And so the revolving door keeps swinging around and around and around. So we're never going to get a situation. Now, just because we haven't seen human beings collaborate in the interests of coming up with sensible outcomes doesn't mean it's completely not possible. We're doing it badly now. Are you trying to tell me that if you get 17 people, young people in the UK today, people who are not radicalized in any way with any st- stupid woke ideology or fundamentalist ideology, you're just human beings. And you sit them down and say, this is fucked. It doesn't care which color people are, where they come from. This is the problem you've inherited. How would you make it work? Are you trying to tell me that those 17 college students wouldn't be able to come up with something more intelligent than the fucking Tories and the Whigs badgering endlessly at each other, getting fucking nowhere, and all getting mixed up by the press? So, I mean, just just keep scaling that that, that those numbers until you get a quorum of 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 people making reasonably intelligent decisions. The thing is, between you and I, we know that they are not gonna get every single scenario right. If you ask them how to distribute welfare, how to handle the tax or the pension or the the healthcare system. These are complex issues and they're not gonna get them right. They're gonna make mistakes. But here's the missing thing. Leadership requires no permission to get started and should also carry no risk of blame if mistakes are made. Because yeah. the whole point of leadership is taking a risk and being vulnerable and saying, I'm going to try something. It's the best we know how, but when we get it wrong, don't come and shit on me. I got it wrong, not because I'm incompetent. I got it wrong because there was no better answer available at the time. And that scales right down to individual leadership, individual behavior. As so soon think- as I know better, I do better but I have to get off the pot. I have to do something, which means you have to take the risk of doing the wrong thing for a while until you know better.
0: But But I think we don't allow that in ourselves. Sorry. Sorry, I was going to say, whether or not we have the the ability to get a room of individuals together and find solutions to these problems, it's the implementation of those problem uh, or solutions that's going to be the issue because yes, we do live to an extent in a competence-based hierarchy, but that doesn't transcend beyond governments, and as you said you've got idiots in, in control of where things move and they've got their own agenda a lot of the time they are puppets for a much larger organizational or institution so even if we did have solutions the problem is is the solution that may be put forward is to actually get rid of the the governments that are already there or to restructure correct the correct governments are already there no, the... which means that it correct. won't be something that's allowed to be put forward so it's in no. of the non-starter.
1: Um no. So you can't start at the top. You've just worked out. Okay, yeah. so that's the principle of hermetics. You don't try to start at the top. You start with the individual. Every single individual needs to wake up and eventually, if you get a quorum of people. So do you know what a memoration is? Memoration of swallows. No. When they were when they were making the movie uh, Gladiator. The animators, Ridley Scott said, oh, "What I want is I want this aerial sh- shot swooping over the Coliseum and I want to see these birds sort of flying in the dome and out across the 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 seven hills." And they shut their pants for a bit because they thought to themselves, "How the hell are they going to, um, you know, do the 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 animation for potentially thousands of birds in in, in a flock?" And what they eventually consulted with ornithologists and what they figured out was that the heuristic that birds flying in a swarm actually have is very simple. Two basic data points on their heuristic. The one is don't crash into the bird in front or beside you and don't veer too far away from the bird beside you. And that elasticity has got uh, uh, a sort of, time component, because all the birds are moving at within the range of speeds that are commensurate with each other. So even though you see this undulating mass in the sky, um, they are still keeping together, and they're moving together. Now, the net effect of a murmuration is what the name, the collective name is for that, ac- that action. If you get one of those birds catches an insect on the wing, but he had to deviate his little body, maybe an inch, half an inch, to catch that insect. It means the four or five birds around it would be subconsciously impelled to move in the vector that that small bird moved by an unconscious impulse. And then the 100 around those or the 20 around those five would be commensurately moved and the the 150 around those 20 and so on and so on and so on. And this is how we get viral social movements. Now, If you got a thousand people in a a, a significant population that were all of a mind, who all applied these principles, it's not just listening to the principles and trying to apply them. It's obviously a lot deeper and more nuanced than that. Obviously, it is. But if you got people of the basic premise that self-mastery is key, facing discomfort in oneself, not being moved capital M moved, That's a hermetic principle, the unmoved mover, and all the rest of us are moved in nature. Emotion is a Latin root word, which re- refers to the motion that our psyche undertakes by emotional impulse, by psychological impulse, right? So if we can master that impulsive movement, in other words, we can practice what is called tolerance With the capital T. What is tolerance? If our aim is to understand more and encounter more and engage more and connect more, the barrier to our connection is discomfort and accidental injury. More accidental injury is to blame for people disagreeing or not getting along because their vigilance is aroused and their mistrust is is heightened. But when you truly understand what somebody else's value set is, even though their, their intuition of how they would get there is maybe primitive or, or something, the, the, the trust that you need is compromised because you can't trust their incentives. But once you can start articulating those incentives and you can start figuring out inside of yourself what is reasonable, what's unreasonable to ask for, where is the boundary between self and other, on, on what measure am I responsible for my own choices, my own behavior, Tolerance becomes really key because as you try and interface with people, the first interface might be clumsy, slightly painful. It might trigger you in some way. But the ownership that you have to not be triggered, to accommodate a little bit of pain, a little bit of discomfort, and attribute it to accident and to clumsiness rather than to sentiment, the whole tone, the agitation tone comes down, and the cohesiveness between people can increase. So this is the actual purpose of Hermetics, because it means you can encounter the world around you much more rawly. You can encounter truth and the reality of the world without layers of distortion and filter, because you've embodied a kind of awareness and stillness, which is not easily triggered to unforeseen uh, catalysts or circumstance, so that you can be more still and more present in a moment. Right. You're getting where I'm going, Yeah. yeah. Now, you get a 1,000 people in a large population who this is the project of their lives. And they also have the greater project, this aim of stable mutual actualization we're talking about. How do we get more people along for the ride in a saner, calmer, stiller way where we can start converging on things? What we have at the moment is not a technology problem. It's not a communication problem. It's a coordination problem we can't align our incentives and our values clearly enough. There's not enough time. Because there's always more distortion, there's always more chaos, there's always more triggering events happening all the time that subsume our attention and our time. And the effort to try and arrive at convergence or cooperation You know, I have a saying that says systems fail when their inputs exceed their throughput. And our system of being able to parse all the chaos that's happening is overwhelmed by the inputs that we are trying to parse. And so our ability to parse them and make sense of them and become more cohesive through that exercise is compromised. Yeah. but But, yes, I'm almost there.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm almost there. But if you get a group of people whose project this is and they suddenly become aware of the nature of the illusion and the nature of the triggering and the nature of the dysfunction and they decide to move together with purpose, having mastered themselves or being committed to the project of mastering themselves and they move in a direction, the crowd automatically is galvanized and moves with and that is a principle of the physics of consciousness and social cohesion, that you don't have to engineer that is just the way human beings are. So you can lovingly coerce people in better directions through better example.
0: But do you feel that with the with the pyramid style analysis that those 1000 people could have the influence on those people at the bottom?
1: In no a, not, the, not, not, di- not, not directly, directly but you
0: know. after after time as you said with the hermetic principles you know you need to go well through
1: so again the way so one of the key principles of hermetics is correspondence which boils down to as above so below and what that means is that principle is also pervasive in all physical uh, systems and all arrangements and all other hierarchies as well what yeah. that means is let's say now we're at the apex us few thousand trying to do better right our logic and reason and will will only be will only appeal to the tier of the social pyramid just below us we will not be able to reach the base they will be unreachable by us but the tier below us will be able to reach through concept or communication or engagement the tier below them and they will eventually be able to reach the bottom. But, but does so it? Like.
0: Does it depend though? On you mentioned the, the bird example from Gladiator, where you know they behave in a way that's relative to those closest to them, but much like the ripple, um, the, the, the the sort of ripples from a pond or a river or a lake. Does it depend on how big the ripples are? The ripple effect. Because if you throw it a does it does, it, but again
1: it, it does. It does. But if you also look at the other um, uh, laws of hermetics, there's one, the law of rhythm, which talks about um, seasonality, frequency, etc. So there is a principle called entrainment. You know, if you begin one metronome, if you put seven metronomes on a desk, or seven pendulum clocks aligned next to each other on the wall, and you you start the pendulums off at different uh, rates and frequencies, within a period of time they will synchronize
0: yeah it's like with their women's mental cycles and the hearts, right of, you know people who that's it together, that's
1: it that's entrainment now the lower law the below below the principle of rhythm is the principle of cause and effect so if you're trying to engender a cause and effect relationship between you and the people around you you have to use the entrainment principle which it's not the size of the ripple that you make, it's the frequency that you do it. So you do things in in a ritualistic way, in a ceremonial way, in a repeated way, in an entrained way, in a a way that has repeated frequency, because again, the human subconscious is automatically entrained to these kinds of things without, without consciously trying to. So if, if somebody you've heard of this, the, the, um, psychological effect of repetition yeah that basically is is exactly what we're talking about
0: it's like the uh, climbing of a mountain uh begins with a single step isn't it you don't have to necessarily have the mountain there and then but the the small cumulative effect of a single step or as you said the the, the frequency of change that's it. Is what will make the bigger difference that's in the it long-term.
1: Right now, if you consider hermetics um, again from like a, as a scientific principle, the principle of mentalism almost insinuates that there is a prime signal that's being distributed, that's to be understood, that is to be perceived. Right, and how do you how do you uh, put force and range to that signal? you increase the amplitude and the frequency, commensurate with a substrate that you have to move through. And if we're trying to get that signal out, it's everything in the universe works in pulses. So that's what quantum means. It means measured in packets. It doesn't mean something mystical. It literally just means measured in bursts or packets or pulses. That's it. And so that is the behavior we want to emulate when we want to reach more people. But unfortunately, our cycles of social engagement or cycles of social engineering, these four year cycles, are, they're not effective. They're clearly not effective. We've broken all of our natural cycles and we don't have these fundamentals like initiation where... It's difficult now because now we have to unfuck ourselves from a thousand years of dicking around. But if we start fixing this, we would not be teaching children the crap we're teaching them at school. It's just it's ridiculous. That's it's laughable. Ridiculous. But completely ridiculous. It's in fact it's very hard to sit an intelligent human being down and say, reverse engineer the um, academic curriculum over 12 years for me of a human child and then say to them, and what are you expecting out of this No, Well, they're going to be well formed adults, which are suited for the no, no, they fucking won't be. This is not suiting anyone for anything. This is insane. It's patently insane. Now, let's, let's assume we, we we were using that time better and teaching the children instead social skills, psychological skills, teaching them about guilt, shame. Um, just the landscape of the human psyche and how to navigate it um, uh, intelligently. One of the things that we would become a prerequisite would be these kind of, instead of a graduation, a graduation is a bastardized shadow of what it used to be, which was an initiation. You have now reached a level of attainment where you can demonstrate and understand how we enshrine the principles and mechanics of social engineering for the rest of the group so that someone doesn't come along and fuck it up assuming that change is constant there's always going to be new threats and questions and curiosities and challenges around the corner we can't carve shit in stone to last for thousands of years because the world is changing too quickly yeah it's ridiculous we we can't assume that some ancient text is going to hold the 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 the, the full context of ethics and morality that we need to do to understand chat gpt and um, Instagram nude photographs and TikTok videos—we just—it's—it's it's woefully insufficient. But that said, at least if you're coming from the right heuristic, if you can see what the rest of us value, and you can be proven to be a reasonable actor, a good faith actor, if you can argue with um, in, you know intellectual honesty, even if not with roaring intellect, just emotional intelligence, at least. That can be taught, that can be trained, that can be engendered into people as they grow up. If you can demonstrate that, then you are safe to initiate into the group of decision makers so that when we get together to make difficult decisions, you're not going to be sitting there with your pink hair raging about your pronouns or some other irrelevant thing. It's pointing at your wound, which you have. And I'm, I am I see you, I see you in your wounding. But we're trying to solve a problem here. And the problem has to be paramount to any individual's feelings or emotion right now that doesn't mean we don't care about emotions we're not Vulcans but the 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 management of your feelings and your trauma is one project and the dealing of this complex social question is another project and project A cannot bleed into project B because by definition it'll fuck up project B and if you can understand that principle just that principle which is, and it boils right down to what would I want? What is the golden principle? If I had a calamity for my family that I wanted to solve and I threw on the public square and the public square couldn't deal with it because they were too fucked up about pronouns or about um, religious fundamentalism. I I would not want that. I would not feel safe. I would feel that I'm living in an insane society and everything's funny until it's your kid with pancreatic cancer, until it's, your house that's going to be foreclosed at the bank yeah. so if you can park your bullshit for a minute and just say okay what would you want if you were the most vulnerable person in society Okay, fuck yeah i'd want the best minds to be talking seriously about the issue and nothing but the issue okay then that's how we to enshrine our decision making now if you can subscribe to that you can be part of the decision makers but equally knowing what human beings are like you must also be amenable to being tapped on the shoulder and saying hey it looks like you're fucking going off emotionally half cock at the moment. you want to step out the room and bring it back down. Yeah. And if you're not amenable to that, you also can't be in the decision making group. So what do, that's not democracy. But it's something. I think that we think, haven't experienced ex-
0: yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I think the, the issue is that well, a couple of things. The school system's not been adapted in however many years and those things that have been adapted within the school system are to teach there's more than two genders all the all the shit stuff that is going to make people worse off over the long over the long term and then those people who are intelligent and are um, um as you said of those type of minds or have those type of minds that could cause change generally get sold down the river of well 100 grand 200 grand job you know the corporate corporate lifestyle so where are these people those that have been fucked up psychologically by the system and those that have the intellect but go down the corporate world route, where are these people going to where are we going to find these people that are going to help to to change things over the long term? Well, well, where you'll find them is um in the queues at
1: mental health clinics because <laughs> because they are the ones that are feeling sick inside because they cannot align natively with an unsick with an unwell society. You know, Jiddu Krishnamurti. The last time we met, I said to you, one of his famous quotes is, "It's no sign of good health to be well-adjusted in a profoundly sick environment." Yeah, and like, the, um... the people that the people that we will find to be, become complicit in a more progressive way of self-ownership and self-healing and psychological self-prepare, etc., are the ones that are feeling failed by the system.
0: Yeah, it's like if the you're... ones who I was going to say, it's like if you're on the side of the majority, one of the 48 laws of power, it's time to pause and reflect. And if most people are thinking stupid thoughts... That's you know that you're
1: Yes, to, to, to feel alone right now is, is to be uniquely sane, because if you don't feel alone, it means you are siding with the mob who are doing mobbish kind of things. And you are definitely, this, as you say, this is pause for thought. So... You know, all the people that I, I used to think that they would be spiritually inclined. They're not because the spiritually inclined people are satisfied with a shallow dip of the cup. They just put some tie dye on and they put, the, you know, a, a hemp a headband on and they go to what's called a bush doof um, and, you know, a little bit of mushrooms and some and we're and we're all good you know, a few crystals and a bit of um, Palo Santo burning or or, or white sage. And when I look at someone like my wife and I, we we want to live in a sane society, we want to live in a place that where our daughter is surrounded by love and connection. But I also want to live where people wash and don't try and make gin in the bath. So um, it, it clearly can't be the hippies. Because they also don't take the fucking world seriously. Like they're they're, they're overgrown children who are trying to recapture some kind of Peter Pan shtick. And I want people who actually want to be in the world and the ones who are struggling to fit into the world because they they can't belong to any of the bullshit. They can't belong to fundamental Christianity and pull the blanket over their eyes. They can't belong to the couch and watch The Bachelor or The Block or some other reality TV. They can't belong to sport and just check out the rest of their um, discretion and discernment and humanity in favor of emotional uh, titillation. It's all the fringes, all the people that that go, yeah, I like this. This is okay, but it's not enough. The people that are aching inside for more, those are the ones that you need to reach.
0: You mentioned hippies there and that they – can't be the ones to 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 undertake this uh this task yes. let's say yes is that, is that is, the reason you mentioned that is because i know that you are um pro psychedelics in into to some extent is that because hippies are they like the psychedelics they like the drug side but they don't take things seriously as well, you well, don't think properly.
1: even though i'm a, a i'm a huge exponent of of appropriate um use of psychedelics as a tool I'm more talking about what we refer to as um, spirituality. In, when I when I refer to the hippies, so what right. they prefer to do is not to what in, in air quotes buy into the script. They don't trust the man. They don't just want to suck on the industrial teeth. They want to get back to a lifestyle that's more entrained with nature. That away from ego. Therefore, if if it's away from ego, then If it's away from that kind of egoistic materialism, the opposite vector is spirituality. So, but then they drink the Kool-Aid on that end of of the field. And it's not the psychedelics per se. It's the spiritual vocation, which they claim to have. Now, I can align with that because I have something of a spiritual vocation, but it isn't something diaphanous and flimsy it's 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 quite um it's quite, it must have firmness of thought it must reflect the superior genius of the design that i um that i intuit to be there in other words if you know we don't have great words for this so we call it cosmos or life or the universe or we, 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 there is this placeholder that we refer to in our psychology. When we, This is the placeholder we mean when we use the word God because we don't have better words. And leaning towards that, that side, it can't just be all pure love and cuddles. It There has to be some intelligence. There's not some. There has to be superior intelligence and reason in the design. There has to be a grander design. That subscribes to meaning. It can't be all this haphazard bullshit. Now, I'm I reasoned my way into that perspective. And if I'm looking for a, a being or a presence or a, a, a proof of something that exists beyond the veil of normal perception, it has to, it it, it has to look and feel. Like it belongs to that that description of order and reason and meaning and and um, behind the design and hippies, for example, they don't need that. There's this sort of casual hand wave of just you just paint brush a watercolor with your hand and you say no no it's it's the everything it's the all it's the mother it's the vague uh, assertions using these 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 archetypes, which can be, from a hermetic perspective, very precise, they kind of just gesture loosely at them. And it's that loose gesturing, um, without the compulsion to get very close to it with discernment and understanding, that makes me realize those are not the kind of actors you can make a serious play for social improvement with, because at the end of the day, there is, a, there is a propensity in people's psychology. Ellen Watts used to call it the prickles and the goo. Um, some people are pricklier and some people are goo, and you get prickly goo and gooey prickles. And But the, the two fundamental um, uh, ends, ends of the spectrum are hippies would be the gooey, flowy, it's all just, it'll all work itself out. Nothing needs to be precise. And, of course, when you're looking at something like Eastern philosophy, like Taoism, for example, there is an element of our universe which absolutely subscribes to that—that that kind of ineffable blend of the paradox. It's yin and yang, and it's kind of both. But but we can't really engineer a society based on that. Yeah, especially not if there's bad faith actors with um, uh, tactical nuclear weapons aimed at our borders, or if there's you know somebody putting a pangolin on top of a bat in a wet market in Wuhan we need we need to or it, it could be a meteor heading towards our planet. what are we going to sit there burning white sage and just hoping that the asteroids gonna bypass our planet or we're going to try and get our engineers and our physicists and our scientists to try and work something out now to that level of coordination can't be done around a ukulele
0: yeah so yeah.
1: not to be disparaging towards hippies and their project they're they're a lot easier to please and to work with if you're moving in the right direction then the other side but by the same token these are not the people you want paddling
0: yeah because out the creek yes right yeah, but, but as with any sort of spectrum sometimes either end of the spectrum is not the right way to go so if we use the mm. hymns as example they might they may be on the sloth side if we look at the seven deadly sins but if we look at the seven deadly virtues of, of overwork both both sides of those yeah those absolutely. ends of the spectrum aren't good either so it's got to be somewhere essentially in the middle to allow a level-headed person to you're absolutely uh, right
1: you're absolutely right but i suppose the project that i was trying to solve for was who do you appeal to to um start becoming complicit in in repairing the dysfunctional social engineering we have and you would assume it would be people of a spiritual inclination and the only reason i'm pointing them out is not because I'm advocating for the opposite end, or the fact that there isn't another end of a spectrum. It's the fact that the obvious choice isn't the actual reasonable choice, specifically because of their their default intuitions. It'll all get done. Sila V, she'll be all right in the end. Just just let it go, man. Um, we unfortunately have some pressing problems which which don't lend themselves to uh solutions via that kind of heuristic
0: just, Do you think maybe the the gnostics type of people or mystics could maybe be the type of person who would be able to solve these things or or do you or do you think there is an element no. of realism needed as well no um because the the mystics on the other hand are
1: almost distant from the problem to the point where they just want to make contact with the ineffable they by definition don't belong in the world the same way we do you know we belong in the world enough to want it to be better they like could take it or leave it um and it's not like i'm, I'm getting all mystics and typecasting them and making a statement about them but we we have to sit and say i mean just reason it out um are you, do you i think you have to consult people who are mystically inclined. Um, for for your alignment or your your sense of of truth or what what is what, what it is that we're trying to make contact with as a species yeah but it it's it, it's the same way that um you, you you can't put an orchestra together with a room full of conductors
0: yeah. Agreed.
1: So I don't know if that's a precise analogy, but it's it's somebody's touching the ineffable, the ethereal, and and yet no one can hear the music except them. That's not the people who you want playing an orchestra piece to an audience.
0: You actually want
1: a bank of cellos and a bank of – you want you want doers and you, you want specialists and you want –
0: yeah. Yeah, the, th- the thing is with, with that analogy, for, for me anyway, everyone wants to be the conductor. You know, I'm the guy in charge, I'm the one – who manages to no the they don't
1: actually we assume, of, we assume of, that i don't a, a think it's of, true
0: a lot of people do though they what they want to be the big but not everyone does and sometimes people have to understand what their part and what their role is in the wider wider picture wider scenario and sometimes we can't um, all be the leaders of the ship sometimes we do have to be the oarsmen or whoever else um yeah so, it's, it's so i agree with you market.
1: but i'm going to challenge that to a point juba and i'm going to say this when when you get somebody who's, um, I suppose, intellectually immature to begin with, and you say to them, you know, which superhero do you want to be? Everybody wants to be Superman. Or everybody wants to be Iron Man. Everybody wants to be Batman. But when you start tackling the actual rigor and demand of that requirement, when they make contact with what's actually required and expected, they very quickly mature out of that initial, well, fuck, no, actually, I don't want to be that guy. So our first, this is because of our relationship with power. Very primitively, so there's a principle in Emetics that says where you get your permission is where you get your power. And so our our distribution of power tends to be hierarchical yeah. with the assumption that the pinnacle of it is always divine or Divinely ordained. So it'll either be um king, which is you know a divine dynasty of this royal bloodline, or it'll be a priest or a pope, something. It's but it's or it'll be via natural law, divine natural law, and therefore the person on the top of this, like the CEO or the strongest guy or the warlord, is still somehow divinely ordained. Yeah. Because it, right. Right. And
0: yeah. so we it's normally responsibility and competence, though, isn't it, that allows for that person to be at the top of any given hierarchy?
1: No, it's not. um it, it depends on the dynamic that's at play. So, if we were all cavemen, it wouldn't be. It would be the person who could hunt the best, or the person who, who could physically. So, if there was a tribe of four or five, it would be the physically strongest one. Isn't that if it was the same thing? Responsibility and competence. No, um, because okay. the the heuristics of what's valued change depending on the size of the group. So if it's a very small group of thugs, then it'll be the biggest guy, not the most competent. If they are a slightly larger group, and there is enough to overpower the single one thug, then it becomes more about competence. And these things change and scale depending on the
0: sizes of the groups that play. But doesn't so it doesn't still encompass. Strength and 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 power. Yeah,
1: maybe, sure, but I mean, yeah, okay, that's just semantics. But yeah, no argument there. You're right. You're right. It's just not always the case because if you look at um, inbred royal families in medieval times, there was very like slack-jawed, weak, dull-witted people that became kings and lords, etc. And that was definitely not on the basis of, of um, prowess or, or competence whatsoever. The only competence that they got was borrowed because of their wealth and influence because they educated their children through tutors or through fostering or whatever the case. But it it, 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 it wasn't as if they they did a, um, a test of merit and competence, and then elected the most competent and said, Okay, you'll be the king. It's never worked like that.
0: The, always... That example is like where you know, easy times make for weak men. Weak men make for hard times. That sort of cycle. Because you don't, re- you rarely tend to find the the, the a son being a great man who's come from a great father necessarily. You do get some, of course, but it's very hard to step into a great man's shoes and still be someone uh, of uh a substance.
1: Yeah, I think um, every permutation that we could come up with exists, and we're talking out of our asses here. You know, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: like what I what I tend to do is like when I start wondering really far outside my wheelhouse, I just go, I don't know. You,
0: maybe, maybe, maybe. So, what what are some of the things you're reading at the moment? Because I know you. You've got a, a lot of books there behind you as well. I know you like your Alan Watts, and actually, and I
1: don't your- actually
0: read a lot, and I've only only arrived at Alan Watts much later. What am
1: I reading at the moment? Um, I'm busy reading Yuval Noah Harari's um, *Homo Deus*. I'm reading a book. What's His name. His emissary. It's called his Emissary* by Ian McIlchrist. It's about the um debunking the myths about what we understand the functions of the left and the right hemispheres of our brains, what their functions actually are versus what we were told they were. Um so he was a um forget the 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 medical term of people that underst that, that study the brain. Neuro neuroscientist 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 that's right and um he was interested in left and right brain function and he was told for decades that he was going to burn his career. But he persisted, and now he's the authority on this. And it's actually, um, I use this particular insight with a lot of my clients. It's absolutely breakthrough. because what, what did you Um. So uh, the, 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 the most fundamental aspect of it is that the premise that we get given, which is that the left brain is logical and mathematical and linguistic and the right is creative, is completely bullshit. It's just utterly bullshit. It's far more true to say that the left brain is um, task focused, very self-aware and very capable of insulating itself in a um, a compartmentalized context, which lends itself to the creation of fiction and narrative, which means if you're having a dream and you you, you pick up your nan and you're driving in the next minute, it's not your nan, it's your teacher from school. What you actually had were two dreams. But your left brain is the part that that authors the fiction that the one turned into the other, because it is unbound by the, the ambient necessity of cohesion with, the world and with reality, it can happily just author a fiction. So when you get somebody like Donald Trump, for example, somebody who can just lie vociferously without being self-aware, that kind of narcissistic human being is not evil. They just very, very left brain active and very, very right brain inactive. And of course, you have a, a corpus callosum. Now, Which which um, moderates between the two, which gives us a sense of a singular self, but that sense of singular self, which is if you do any practice of meditation or mindfulness, one of the objectives of that practice is to start becoming aware of the illusory nature of that assumption that we are a singular self, there is just this, you know, um, pantheon of jibber jabber going on inside your heads, and then you, you sit and have the sense of singular identity. And you also assume that you're contingent with the, the G van that you were yesterday, or last week or the year before, but your thoughts and ideas have completely changed. And yet, you tell yourself of fiction that you're the same contiguous person. And so the right brain then is more ambient to where it's more aware of other. So um, the left eye connected to the right lobe, and the right eye is connected to the left lobe. So when you know hunters will look at their right eye, and mothers will keep the baby on their left so that they can be aware of other. It's little small things like that. And when you notice that you can tell somebody a truth, like they struggle to break a habit or struggle to break a paradigm, what you realize is that they are very, very strong in their left brain presence. And there's all sorts of physical activities you can do to synchronize the hemispheres and to break that that str- break that stronghold that the left brain has. And the title of the book gives it away. It's called The Master and His Emissary. And the left brain is the emissary that thinks it's the master. And it's a bit like that scene in The Lord of the Rings where the one's whispering into the old king's ear and he's a doting, dotard king and he's not in his right wits and he's just have this, this worm tongue whispering poison in his ear the whole time. Our left brain does this to us and can make us patently unhappy and patently captured in our uh, illusory fictions of drama or of malaise or of story. or um, it's, it's a narrative. That we can get caught in so that's one of the books i'm reading as well
0: so how do we sort of transcend that do we go into reflection what? do we go into as alan watts said zen where we are sort of transcending time to an extent and meditate or is it just a case of understanding that that's how that side of the brain operates and when we're aware of something we can then
1: that's it I, I i, I would
0: I would advocate
1: the latter. So it's first of all, being aware that that phenomenon exists suddenly makes you curious to go, oh, fuck, I wonder how many things in my life are attributable to that rather than because it's not as if I'm I'm, I'm making contact with actual reality. I'm making contact with my perception of real and how much is my perception distorted by my narrative. Now, you know, it's a bit like when you first learn about logical fallacies and cognitive biases. When you first learn about them, when you first get shown a, a um optical illusion in school, the teacher shows it to you and you go, Oh, wow, you know, the whole class is blown away. That first crossing of that Rubicon that you do in your psychology, where you go, it is possible for my eyes to deceive me. Your world is forever changed. A, 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 a capacity opens up in your internal predictive models where you entertain the possibility that you can be mistaken. And you look at the world, if you're, if you've lost your keys, or you can't get your hand in your pocket or something, you suddenly become aware that you can trick yourself. And you tackle the problem slightly differently from there on out. And it's exactly the same with logical fallacies and cognitive biases, you suddenly realize that we can be caught in these um, heuristics of a kind of internal game theory, where we we make these rapid clutches for confirmation rather than trying to make contact with actual reality. And when you understand why it happens, of course, you, you bypass the need to feel shame and guilt and become neurotic about it. That's exactly the same with this. So the first project, I suppose, is just A, knowing what the two natures of mind are that contend with each other in your in your thought stream. Then the second project becomes to start noticing which one is active and which one is lending itself to certain kinds of narrative or behavior. And then the way to um, address that is, well, there's there's a raft of um, kind of CBT kind of exercises that people can do to actually synchronize those. But yeah, I, I suppose for me, it was just enough to be aware that the phenomenon existed at all. Yeah,
0: it's um, something that like, I speak mm-hmm. with clients about, you know, how are you viewing your reality? What mindset do you currently have? Can you trick yourself to think in a certain way instead of thinking negatively, what positive, optimistic outcomes can you use? Can you use affirmations instead of saying, you know, I'm a fat idiot and this is some of the psychological self-belief and self-image and self-waffle that we tell ourselves. Can we change that, which then subsequently will change our actions because of the perception, as you said, that's that's changed as well. 100%.
1: And, you know, on in the one breath, just to tell somebody that there is another possibility is a possibility, but then they don't have any reason to trust the veracity of doing that, per se. Yeah. Okay. But when you explain to them that this is actually how the human brain works, and this is actually the science of it, suddenly, they've got something tangible to go, okay, fuck, now I actually understand why this works. And that context is the context of reason that I keep trying to talk about with hermetics. It's not just that this is an alternative. This is why the alternative is likely to work. And so you can get faith in an alternative mode of being, of doing, but it's not a faith of um, indoctrination or of pure belief. It's a reasoned faith. It's, it's underpinned by an understanding about something in the world. yeah. And what Hermetics does, the seven principles of Hermetics is it creates a map of understanding, which touches everything, and every question we might ever ask, bar none, bar none. And in, in that, it says, these are the underpinning laws of everything that you encounter, in every person, in every phenomenon, in every natural law, in everything. And therefore, to understand that and to know that what you are looking at will somehow betray these laws or portray these laws, it means you can start using these laws to start discerning what it is that you're in a relationship with. And That is hugely powerful, hugely powerful. And the thing is, the lovely thing is you don't have to just believe it. You can try it on for size and treat it as if it's true for a while and see what transpires and when things begin to transpire you have a reasoned faith to go yes fuck, this actually works
0: it's, it's crazy that that never works though isn't it because even as, as a child you know you believe santa claus is real and your behaviour is dictated by that belief. You know, you will write notes saying this is what I want for Christmas. You'll leave correct, correct. And, But as soon as you realise the reality of something, you look at, back at yourself thinking how stupid was I? It's, I can't believe that I used to think in that way. But it's almost impossible. In fact, it is impossible to understand how you used to think at a particular point in time because you're always looking back with your new perception, with the new set of beliefs that you've got and with that additional time so it's um it's a very difficult exercise but the the one benefit I like to think of is thinking well if I am now in a better position than I was five 10 15 years ago in terms of mentality or inquisitiveness surely in five 10 15 years time I'm going to be in a much better place to even understand some of the questions that I can not answer I myself.
1: could if I'm keep moving in the same direction yeah Right. And then this becomes the question why people arrive at midlife crises, because the the energy that got them here seems to peter out and they hit some kind of an impasse. And now suddenly a new energy arrives and they look around at the shape of their life and they go, fuck, I don't like the shape of this at all. But they don't quite know what to do with that arrival in that moment because they can't remember, as you said, I don't remember how I got here. I just seem to have got here one day and I don't like it. Now, yeah. I've got no reason to complain because I've got a wife and a kid and a job and this, and somehow I hate it, and I don't know what to do with that that inherent discomfort. Now, that is exactly the phenomenon that is playing out in our species at the moment. We have just arrived at this midlife crisis of a species, and the way that we've shaped our lives, we don't like. But we don't know how we got here, and we want to blame someone, and we start bickering with Our neighbors and the wife and the kids and but it's not their fault either. Because nobody engineered this, we all just flopped here in a mess. And now it starts behooving us to go shit. And so I love that thing that you brought up. I really, really love that because I sometimes have to point that out to people. And I say to them, Do you remember being a teenager? Yes. Did you remember the shit ideas you had? Yes. What do you think of those ideas now? I actually can't relate to how I used to think it was so insane. I said, right, now as fastidious as you are, could could I have sat you down as a teenager and talked you out of this? You said there's no fucking ways. They know everything and they are so certain of what they know. The only thing that addresses that mad certainty that they have is 10 years of fucking up and and crashing against a reality that won't bend to their bullshit. That is, unfortunately, the way we arrive every single time. So now here you are in this new phase of your life, bashing your head against some new other impasse. And I'm coming to you to tell you that there is an alternative here. And you are presenting me with not the same, but a commensurate level of stubbornness to say, no, it's impossible. I can't change. I can't do this. I can't do that. At least, at least you can remember what it felt like to be so certain of something then. And to have it completely overturned within the space of 5-10 years. Are you so sure that there is not a single chink in your belief that can also be summarily overturned by experience, understanding or reason? And if you can just admit of that possibility, just that, we can begin to work.
0: Yeah. It's like the, the, the loudest the emptiest vessel makes the loudest noise. It's like that with, as you said, about the teenagers. They think, oh, you know, I'm right, I'm right. You could tell me whatever you want. And, you know, a lot of the things that my parents and teachers and other individuals in my life have told me, you fast forward 10 years, you're like, do you know what? You you can't believe how right it was, but how wrong you thought it was back then. I've noticed that over the years I've got more introverted.
1: You're dead right. And the big question is... How is it so perennially true that every teenager thinks their parent is a blithering fucking idiot? And yet later on, they arrive 10 years later, they still think their parents are maybe a bit naive or a bit foolish or a bit uh, you know, old fashioned or something, but they weren't wrong. Now that has repeated itself again and again and again and again, for as long as human history has gone on. The question I have for you is why is it never any different? What is at play that invariably – I know the answer, but I'm wondering if you think about it – that invariably makes teenagers just
0: unreachable? I just think it's part of a cycle. It's like you have summer, winter, autumn, and and, and spring. We have to go through that period of uh, of ignorance, shall we say, to allow for us to to get to transcend beyond that and realize mm. ah, what ignorant was from a first hand perspective as opposed to right a perspective. That that would be my you, view. I think you're dead right because you were you automatically moving in the right direction. Now my question is why? Why does that happen? What is the what is the purpose? So we learn the lesson first hand as opposed to through someone else's voice because I think that lessons learned um through experience the 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 moral or the lesson learned is always a lot stronger than it is from someone telling you you should not do this you should not do that sure
1: sure it is but there's 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 more to it than that. and the more to it is that every see the way nature is moving towards its own vector of actualization is through how it does everything else iteration and variation and we are just variated iterations of our parents dna we are another packet of experience one click forward into the the unfolding future that they can never belong to and so we are wired consciously to be native and citizens of this unfolding time. And they are not. And the only way we can belong authentically to that moment is to rebel from their tight control, because their their tight control would create a kind of stagnancy that could make us unfit for um, survival in the unfolding future, the unfolding moment. So we have to rebel, to veer away, to go on our hero's journey to go and make our own encounter to eventually let the pendulum swing back so we can come back to the village but we come back to the village with something and the rebellion is not just so we can learn firsthand it's also because where we're going you must think of it like this this generation got us here this generation will get us here then the next one will get us here and the next one will get us here they all leapfrog off each other But you have to borrow the momentum from the last. But then you have to veer away from them because if you keep their signal that they have, we don't keep tuning the signal appropriately. You have to distance yourself from the the signal of your parents because it's too entrained to the past. And you have to become, they become sedentary in their interpolation of the signal. That's what adulthood is, is to become more sedentary. And so the next offshoot that wants to leapfrog to move forward with the iteration and variation of nature, it has to break away and lose the safe bedrock of societal norms. They rebel, they become, you know, they become social fucking idiots. That's what teenagers do. And then eventually through the grind, like it pulls them back. And then they're the ones that settle down and have children. And so the cycle continues
0: so the reason scary though i think the next one of those you mentioned the you know the leapfrogging through generations and obviously the last few generations from like the industrial to technology etc but what's going to be interesting is the the the, not the next one maybe the next few generations where chat gbt and um, ai is going to be so fundamental that maybe some of the uh, lessons and teachings that are transfer between generation are lost. Like Egypt, for example, we've, we've lost the knowledge right. of how to you, you, build you. the pyramids. And are we going to let them be in a position where people know you're not right. how to fix houses and build houses? You can see the you're quality right. deteriorate with the, the cathedrals of old versus some of the shit new builds you get today. And um, yes. I think there's a massive rise in um, in quality of, of humans at this point. You were spot on. Absolutely spot on. So that is
1: exactly the the challenge, and it's you alluded to this, but you didn't give the full reference. So there's an author called um, G. Michael Hopf, and his full quote is: um, "Good men create good times. Good times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. Hard times create. So it goes, and we we are busy playing that that out now." Soft times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and we are facing hard times. And the hard times that we are going to be facing are going to be crumbling houses, crumbling institutions. Um, everything's going to be half-baked, inefficient, because we're all too raw and everything's... Um, what, what are teenagers like at the moment? They're, they they laugh at other people's misfortune, They're they're nihilistic, they don't care. They, they can't be told, they argue from a place of ignorance. That's the human race right now. Yeah. The human race is, is in an adolescence. Um, and we are having this kind of midlife crisis slash adolescence slash. So spiritually, we're adolescent, And in terms of our, like, we're all pretty big for our boots. You know, we've moved out and we're living with our our mates and we don't need this and we don't need that. But as you said, we don't know how to build a fucking house. We don't know how to hunt a bear. We don't know how to... Let's say, for example, a super, super dangerous virus actually emerged. Never mind the silly argument about COVID, whether it was or wasn't. Let's just park all of that because it's it, it, it derails our logic. Let's put that down and just imagine we wake up tomorrow and there's a virus that acts like Ebola. It just melts tissue, and it's horrifying. And it's transmittable by touch and coughing. And would you want people to wear masks or not? You absolutely would. And let's say they came out with a vaccine, and the vaccine was produced by the most heartless pharmaceutical company. Would you want the vaccine or not? you would. But we can't be intellectually honest about that we'll say that we don't want it because we're once bitten twice shy with what's, ha- with what's happened reason. And on the other end of the spectrum, let's say there was no disease. And the government was just using these threats to coerce and clip civil liberties and fuck with people and enrich themselves. And it was actually that was the truth. That was the actual truth. Would you want the internet crazies to go out into the street and protest for your liberties. Yes, you would. You absolutely would. And those two are diametrically opposed. The problem is we can't... We w- What we had with 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 COVID was who, who knows? But if what it definitely was, which is not arguable, is it was a dress rehearsal. How does the human race behave? And we covered ourselves in shame. The politicians it was fucked it up. The pharmaceuticals fucked it up, the political ideology fucked it up, the misinformation on the internet fucked it up, the arguing about horse de The just the whole thing, the whole lot was a joke. And you can say that to anyone, and the majority of people will pick up the argument and argue about the wrong thing. I don't fucking care what the Tories said. I don't care what anyone said. I don't care what Fauci said. I don't care who did what. What I care about is if something more dangerous comes, the human race does not have the wherewithal to cooperate in the interests of survival because we're too captured by our own personal portion. That is what I care
0: about. I think another risk as well that people aren't talking enough about is the demise in population. We're not going to be able to sustain the infrastructure that we've built up over these years. The only countries that... Uh, are those in Africa that uh, the population is growing at a, a fast enough pace you're right
1: and, and and their infrastructure and ideology and social norms are fucked yeah exactly because <laughs> they, they they didn't survive a clash with with Western colonialism they they got the worst of both deals it was like that joke that said you know um Canada could have had um American technology French cuisine and English culture Except it got American culture, English cuisine, and French technology. Yeah. You know, it's it, 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 that, that's exactly what's happening in Africa. They could have had these um, traditional um, ethics and um, the the colonial best of systems, and they've got everything exactly the wrong way around. Yeah, and and so they're just ripe for the picking for the worst actors on the on the global political stage, which are countries like China. Yeah. Yes, right. And so we're in we're in for a, a lot of pain and discomfort as a species, because we don't have the means to traverse any challenge or calamity that comes our way. We can't even acknowledge that there is a climate crisis. I don't care who caused it if it's man made or not. I care that it's happening. Who doesn't want to live with cleaner air? Who doesn't want to have cleaner nature and animals that survive without mass extinctions? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to have cleaner oceans with fish that you eat that are not full of plastic? Yeah. That's the actual thing. You don't have to have any political ideology to want to fix things. But we can't commit ourselves to fixing things because we think somebody is duping us.
0: The, the the problem I, i've got with with um like obviously how things are at the moment like capitalism for example they will blame consumers for what corporations create oh you are littering and you know you we are destroying the environment it's our fault as consumers yet it's the corporations creating these products and actually destroying the environment in the first place right so from a hermetic principle
1: where's the solution going to come from the, the corporates are not going to self-regulate, to and they're us. going to keep – it's got to come from us. So in a way, they're actually right, because until we can sort our fucking shit out, and we don't just impulse buy, and we demand better from them. Why do we have bad government? Because we don't demand better.
0: Yeah.
1: Why do we have bad journalism? Because we settle for this shit. Why do we have bad anything? Because we allow it. And we don't understand the power of self ownership and cooperation. It's and not just, yet, it's the distribution curve, isn't it? Most people are idiots. Completely, completely, and exactly. But the idiots always want someone to blame instead of going. It's this. us. The idiots. It's us. It's, it. us. it's us. it's us. It's us. We're not just crying wolf. We are the wolf, and we're the ignorant villagers, and the wolf is coming. And we are the problem that's coming. We are the problem that's coming. We are the problem that is here. And we're all looking for a they to blame. Or we're looking for some messianic billionaire or some celebrity intellectual like a a Jordan Peterson or somebody to come along. There are no gurus and messiahs. They're all idiots. All of them. I don't care how clever they are. The messianic billionaire does not understand social engineering. And... Everybody's straying out of their lanes. All just throwing their hat in the ring. It's it's a circus. It's an absolute circus. And the actual people with actual sane answers. Where are they? They drowned out in a sea of TikTok titty flashing and squirrel memes. And we are we are the problem. We are the problem. We are creating a level of noise and distortion, so extreme, that it cannot be passed, And systems fail when their inputs exceed their throughput. And we are in one of the things about um, hermetics is one of the side projects there was the prophecy of Thoth, the Atlantean, it's this hermetic prophecy of the kind of world we're going to usher in. And it's it's not hard to to join the dots and go oh yeah that fucking looks like exactly what we what we're busy creating at the moment. And it's not going to unfuck itself because Pluto moves into Aquarius. You know on some level not in the way people think I actually think there is some veracity to astrology I really do I'd, but I'd, not I'd. the way we think I'd, not the way yeah. not not the way we think not the way we think. And at the end of the day, if we don't wake up very quickly to the fact that no one else is coming, and I mean, no one else is coming. So in your life, in your personal life, no one else is coming. Whatever change you want, whatever sovereignty you want, you are going to have to um, marshal your consciousness, your attention, your awareness to in, in, in the service of pursuing. that. And similarly, as a species, there is no Buddha coming, there is no Jesus coming, there is no Messiah, there's no aliens, there's no deus ex machina. Now, by design, there is no intervener now. Our age of interveners is done. This is the test. The test is, can you unfuck yourself if the need gets dire
0: enough? And so far, we haven't woken
1: up to the invitation.
0: That's all. It's part of the cycle. We talked earlier about cycles, and you mentioned astrology, et cetera. You know, we get the seasons and uh, um, the the orbits, etc. I also think there is a... A space There has to be, if everything has cycle to space. Of course, you're you're, you're,
1: you're 100% correct, but that doesn't mean it's going to be pleasant. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean every bit of suffering that you endure in your life, however cyclic, means it wasn't avoidable. And I would like to avoid some of the avoidable suffering because at the end of the day, I'm raising a child that I'm going to leave this world to her and her own devices and generations to come. And there is no guarantee that we don't fucking snuff ourselves because that's also a cycle.
0: Nothing more natural than extinction. But then on the flip side, coming back to what we said earlier, is good times make weak men. Sometimes you don't want things to be too good and too easy because then it will bring, sure. you know, the shit sure. But are we going to do this forever? For are we going to do this
1: forever or are we eventually going to get the fuck over ourselves and and not have to come back to this little neck of the woods again? Because it's also a, an onward progression and we're at the, the, the test now. This is the test and yes it is a cycle and yes we may still get through this but there's no guarantee that we're going to get through this. It's not a certainty that we don't become extinct and the earth lapses into the long cycle of millions of years to spawn up another crack at sentient life to have a
0: try at this again.
1: There is no guarantee that that's not going to happen. Yeah this is this is a concept
0: that I have as well people say we're destroying the earth I said no Yes, we are obviously making our mark. But what I'm what I'm basically saying is that before the Earth... destroyed, died, we, the habitability. Yeah we, yeah, we will die out before the Earth gets destroyed.
1: Yes, we're destroying the habit- habitability of the Earth that's it. us. Yeah, that's it. And the thing is, and until we can take to the stars, which is a long way away, this is the only spaceship we have. This is the only spaceship we have. We don't have a spare. And uh, as much as Musk wants to go to Mars. That's a little bit like letting your house burn down because you can stay in your caravan.
0: Yeah.
1: Pisses me off. Uh, uh, Sure. Kit out your caravan and get there so you can travel because eventually you want to conquer the countryside. Absolutely. But you don't want to let your house burn down in the
0: process. This is like what we said earlier. The the great minds have been pushed down this corporate root of whatever and you know those minds that are designing things to go to space could those minds be used to improve life on earth first and foremost
1: well that's the baby incubator argument so what it gets down to what's famous thing in british politics is every time anybody wants to spend money on anything there is a canned perennial argument that says how many baby incubators could you have provisioned in the National Health Service instead for that money. Now, the problem with this is I worked once for the National Disability Insurance Commission in Australia. So it's a it's a statewide um, government agency that facilitates special care services for families with um, people with special needs. And all of the directors and the decision makers in this organization, this government directory, are clinicians, people that have worked their way up through the ranks. I've never worked in an organization where the grassroots goodwill, the DNA of the business was that beautiful. These people fucking care. And if you wanted your family to get care, these are the people you'd want to care for. They care. The problem is for every $100 of funding they get, 100 or $99 goes to frontline services, which sounds great, except their systems are fucking archaic. The building's falling apart. Their processes are woefully out of date. Everything about them is falling apart and decrepit. Why? Because they cannot invest in sharpening the axe, in improving things because they cannot get around this heuristic that in order to give, you have to receive in order to be able to dispense. You have to invest in yourself. You have to sharpen the axe. You have to stop and make the counterintuitive investment so that you can keep chopping trees. Because if all you ever do was chop trees, chop trees, chop trees, because you couldn't for a second bear to not chop trees. Your axe gets so blunt,
0: you become inefficient at chopping trees the same thing happened to me and i I worked for seven days a week for like six years or something along those lines i had my main job and i did a side job and it was like when you're running so hard on the hamster wheel you can't sit back and have time to reflect and plan things out and be strategic and there's no maintenance get the thoughts out in your own head because if your mind always processing what's in front of you it didn't have time to pause and reflect and i've noticed now working. Less hours than I've ever worked to an extent, but also busier to some extent as well. That I have better
1: insights now. Right. So now remember how we started on this little sidetrack was you were saying the minds and the money and the investment that are being spent building rockets to go to Mars could have been spent on something else. There is a form of debate where you can throw that question at everything. And then you basically have to sit and ask, okay, what's the most fundamental need? And, the, and you, you start figuring out, as Sam Harris did, that the moral landscape is a landscape of many peaks and many troughs, not one singular peak. Because sometimes these peaks clash with each other. We both need to do this and we need to do that. We need to improve our arms and our military as well as our healthcare. Why? Because this is the world we live in, unfortunately. So I'm not saying we're always going to need a military. But while there is an existential threat that might come from other people with guns and armament, you are going to need one.
0: Yeah, and I don't think think world peace is ever going to be... um, Well, well, I
1: disagree. I think it will be, but not in the near future. So the the, the next Armageddon is not avoidable, but the one after that might be. You know, um, Einstein said, um, I don't know what... weapons the third world war will be fought with but i know the next one will be sticks and stones you will eventually fuck yourself up to such a degree that you'll go back to square one yeah um yeah exactly so on that cheerful note givan i have to um pull up stumps well thanks for coming on
0: it's been a, a good uh good conversation as, as last time um, I don't if, think you've ever had a conversation like this. Me? Not quite like this. Uh, well, all conversations are different, but these are the kind of conversations I um, I enjoy. I'm not really one for small talk uh, that much. Um, yeah. I prefer having, uh, yeah, uh, questions. Are, are, there, are with... there
1: podcasts that, that deal with small talk?
0: No, no, I'm just saying in general, not chats with on podcasts, but just normal chats with, right, right. with, with people. Me neither um it gets boring and it gets monotonous and i quickly lose focus so that's why i started the show as well to to, to be fair to to um to quench my own curiosity and um, but no is worries there anywhere, is there anywhere people can reach out to you if they need to because i know you've got quite a lot of things that you're doing the yeah moment. there's a good few things so um you can find me on
1: eyeswideopenlife.org eyeswideopenlife.org. you can find me on my um my virtual dojo that I teach people psychological self repair um that's mymojo.dojo.life.com um i also do i mean increasingly engaging on the walled garden which is a philosophical society which i spoke to you about last time that's the walled and there's me and a bunch of other philosophers and psychologists and artists and poets and musicians and all sorts of exploration into philosophy and humanities. That's the thewalledgarden.com. But and if you just want to make contact with me and my work, the easiest way probably would be either my Instagram account or the best way for your listeners is to go to eyeswideopenlife.org. Okay, that's, perfect. That's where to make contact with the projects that I'm currently busy with.
0: Well, we'll add the notes into the podcast description. Cheers. Um, and it's been Cheers. great Thanks. having you on. I love to have you on again as well. Yeah that was fantastic.
1: I really enjoyed that. And um I like your intuitions on a good fair few of these things. You you have a natural aptitude for hermetics.
0: Thank you very much. It was I, I'm um I'm a curious guy, what can I say? That's it. All
1: right, that's all you need basically is curiosity and self-permission. Those are the two wings of the soul. And I've got both of them. <laughs> exactly. In spades. Have a good day. Take care. Bye.